Friends, good morning. As Pastor Jeff alluded to a moment ago, this is my younger brother Garrison, um, five years. Can we celebrate him? Incredible, right? I want to make two statements about him that I said at the first service as well, um, and neither one of them are false. No one paid me to say these things. Uh, but the first one is he's the greatest follower of Christ that I know, um, even though he's five years younger than me. Um, I, I, I honestly think that growing up in this church, he's seen a lot of good models for that. And so I thank you for that as the congregation as well. Uh, the second thing I'll say is that it is a dream. It's the, it's the best thing in my life to be able to do what I love with the person that I love most and truly my best friend. I have a lot of friends that uh, do, do not have great relationships with their siblings. And I'm learning more and more in our world that that is not always a given. And I'm thankful that I think he would say the same. We have a wonderful relationship and that's a testament to our parents, but most importantly, the grace of God. So can we celebrate him one more time before he goes? Love, bro. Well, we're moving towards Christmas. We're moving towards Christmas very fast. And before we get to the Christmas season or anything like that, we'd be remiss not to celebrate Thanksgiving that we just had. I hope that you ate way too much. I hope that you spent some time with family and friends, uh, hanging out together, having a great time together. I know I certainly did. I was thinking back on a few different things as I look at my life that I'm just very thankful for. And I wanted to show you some pictures of them, if I could. The first one is a given, and that is my family. I'm very thankful for my family. You'll see that in this picture, my brother had a lot more hair than he does now. And I like to think that so did I, but as you can also see, he got his hair from my mom and I got mine from my dad. <laughs> We're just going to go with it. Uh, the second thing I'm thankful for are my friends. I have a lot of friends and I'm blessed by each of them. Everybody in this picture, two of them work at Mount Horeb with me. Everybody in that picture does full-time ministry in some capacity. I'm grateful to be a part of the next generation uh, serving the Lord in, 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 in that way. I'm grateful for my friends. I'm also grateful for this role right here at Mount Horeb, which gives me the ability and the privilege to be a part of things like Night to Shine. Has anyone been to Night to Shine before? My goodness, Night to Shine. It's coming up in February, just a shameless plug. We got a little while, so signups are coming soon. You're not going to want to miss our special needs prom, Night to Shine. And then finally, last but not least, I'm thankful for Krispy Kreme. I just got to make that statement. Can we celebrate Krispy Kreme if you're a Krispy Kreme fan? Come on. Man, I heard a comedian one time refer to a warm, glazed Krispy Kreme donut as a baby angel. Okay? And I think he's right. Oh, my goodness. Uh, if you're a Dunkin' fan, if you're a Dunkin' Donuts fan, we have a contemporary service. You can, you can make your way over there if you like. Uh, Pastor Trevor's got a, great, he's got a great sermon. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I did not wear my Clemson bow tie today uh, for the same reason that I shouldn't have mentioned Dunkin' Donuts because I don't want to lose half my audience. But here we go. I want to talk to you today about a subject matter that has to do with Thanksgiving. On the heels of a celebration where all we do is give thanks, I think it's only proper that we talk about how to have the attitude, an attitude of gratitude. An attitude of gratitude. Pastor Michael gave me that this uh, past Tuesday. He's really good with rhyming words with other words. An attitude of gratitude. If you're a note taker, you can write that at the top of your page. That is going to be our subject matter from Scripture this morning. You see, I believe that living a life of gratitude is a biblical command. It is part of following Jesus if we decide to do so. But it's also a choice. We have many choices in life, and with each choice, we have to weigh the pros and the cons before we make the choice. And so I was reading this week of a scientific study that was done of what happens with us internally and with our relationships externally 
when we choose to live a life of gratitude. And the findings were very interesting. Here are some of the pros to living a life of gratitude. It produces a more consistent, optimistic outlook on life. It also increases our happiness while decreasing depressive thoughts. And it also reminds those closest to us that we see them and they matter and that we appreciate them. The cons when it comes to living a life of gratitude, why I personally can't think of one, um, to be honest with you. When I think of the times that I've been grateful in the past, whether it be toward someone that has given me a gift around Christmas or whether it's on the magnitude and the scale of our relationship with Jesus Christ, God himself, when we are grateful, only good things happen within us. We believe that when we are grateful, we are living into our calling as a follower of Jesus. We believe that naturally we will be more at peace when we are grateful. And the list goes on and on. So this morning, what I would like to do for just a few moments is talk from Scripture about what it means to truly have an attitude of gratitude. Because I believe that the only place we can find that attitude consistently in life is in a committed relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only place we can find pretty much anything we talk about from this pulpit. It's the only place we can find gratitude consistently. And I believe that the Apostle Paul actually shed some light onto this truth. If you have a Bible, you can go with me to Colossians. We're going to read from Colossians chapter 2. There are two verses that I want to share with you today from Colossians. We're going to bounce to the Old Testament as well this morning. But this is what the Bible says in Colossians 2, starting in verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Overflowing with thankfulness. This is the main question that I would like for us to wrestle with for a few moments. What is required for an attitude of gratitude? Chances are, all of us in this room and online, we have found ourselves in a posture of gratitude at some point in the past. But what does it even mean? What does it look like? What will it take to consistently have that as our rhythm, as our posture, as our attitude on a day-to-day basis, even on the worst days? What will be required? And I believe that there are two answers to that question, both of which originate themselves in Scripture. So I'm going to preach a two-point sermon today. Not a three, but a two. The first one is this. Understand God's mercy. Mm, This is big. Understand God's mercy mercy. There is a story in the Old Testament of a man named Jonah. And this man was called by God to go to Nineveh, a land where many were living in rebellion to God, and preach against their lifestyle that they may be restored and come to repentance. And upon receiving this call, Jonah says, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to do that. So he runs from the call that was upon his life. And in the story of Jonah, in chapter 1, verse 17, we pick up in a very interesting scene in the story. Maybe you've heard about this scene growing up in Sunday school. This is what verse 17 says. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Let me just pause here for a moment. If I'm Jonah, I'm not going to be viewing this large fish swallowing me as God providing something. Just going to say that, going to put that out there for what it's worth. But nonetheless, the Lord provided 
a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And this is what he said. In my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the currents, they swirled about me. All your waves and breakers, they swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols, they turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. In this scene, Jonah finds himself in the deepest, darkest, most discouraging place I could imagine he's ever been before. I don't think it gets any worse than being in the belly of a large fish. I think that's kind of rock bottom. And yet in that moment, maybe for the first time in a long time, Jonah had discovered and remembered God's mercy over his life. You see, Jonah came to the conclusion in this moment that God's mercy was a present reality in his life. And because of that mercy, in view of that mercy, as Romans says, he was going to offer himself as a living sacrifice, no matter what the cost. He was going to make good on the vow he made, he says. He was going to respond in favor to the Lord's call because of the Lord's mercy. You see, Jonah understood that the storm could have drowned him, but it didn't. He understood that the sailors in chapter 1 could have slayed him, but they didn't. He understood that this large fish could have chewed him up immediately, but it didn't. He understood that in the middle of his own disobedience, the Lord had every right to leave him, but he didn't. And what was Jonah's response to those realizations? It was in verse 9. He says, but I with shouts of grateful praise. I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. It was gratitude. That was the response from Jonah in the middle of the worst possible scenario in his life because he had understood God's mercy. You see, our response to the Lord's mercies upon our life is to give him our life. That's the response. And that decision cannot just be a one-time decision when I was in the 11th grade at church on a Sunday night. It has to be a daily decision when I wake up in the morning. I'm choosing to follow my maker. I'm choosing to follow Jesus because I know that when I follow Jesus, he won't lead me astray. And part of me following Jesus is having a grateful posture, a grateful attitude for all that Christ has bestowed upon me the blessings in our life. 
How quickly people like you and I forget the blessings that God has gifted us with. And maybe it takes a recognition in a season like Jonah's to understand God's mercy upon our life. There was a story in the New Testament. It's in Luke 17, and you're welcome to go there if you would like. This story is very short. It's very easy to miss if you're reading the Luke's gospel from the first chapter on. But in Luke chapter 17, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. And he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, the Bible says. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers. Now, Leprosy was, is something that's mentioned quite often in Scripture, especially in the New Testament. This was a disease, a skin disease, that in this time in history would have separated these individuals from their community. Many scholars actually have written on leprosy that it was of sorts a death sentence, if you will. The community did not want anything to do with anyone who had leprosy. And here Jesus is met by ten lepers, the Bible says. And it's interesting how this all plays out. These lepers, they stood at a distance and they lifted up their voices saying one thing in particular, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. There was one thing these men wanted and that was healing. They knew that Jesus had the power to heal them. They believed that by faith. They'd heard about the miracles. They may have even seen some of the miracles. They know that this man has the power, but they also know that what they need from the Lord their God is mercy for healing. They want a physical healing. And the Bible goes on to say that that is exactly what Jesus does. He heals them in an instant. And the ten men, now cleansed, go on their way. And then in verse 15, it says something very interesting. Then one of them, out of the ten, then, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back to where Jesus was. He was praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. That was the response of one of the ten lepers. Ten were healed, ten were cleansed, but one decided to turn back and to tell Jesus two simple words, thank you. Thank you for what you've given me in this moment. Because what you've given me in this moment is new life. Thank you for that. When was the last time that you and I fell on our faces, as in got on two knees like this and fell down on our faces before Jesus Christ and said, God, have mercy on me. Thank you that you haven't left me. Because this posture right here develops an attitude of gratitude pretty consistently. It's very difficult to be in this posture completely submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ and not be grateful for what he's done in your life and what he's continuing to do. You see, a couple months ago, I was in a really tough spot. I felt disconnected, in a sense, in my relationship with Christ. And I talked with a lot of folks about why that might be a lot of people that I trust, a lot of wise voices here at the church. And I decided that what I needed was a personal spiritual retreat. Now, if you know me, you know that I don't ever like being by myself because I love being with people. 
Well, on this personal spiritual retreat, I drove two hours up to Greer, right outside of Greenville, and I locked myself in a hotel room for a couple hours. I said, God, I've never done this before, but I'm going to shut the door. I'm going to lock the door, and I'm not leaving this room right here until you speak what I know you've been trying to say. I know there's something that you need me to hear, and I haven't been able to hear it back home because I've been distracted by all these other things, but I'm not leaving until you speak. And so an hour goes by, I'm praying, I'm reading the word of God. Another hour goes by and I'm starting to get hungry. So I'm like, God, okay, listen, I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A. But when I get back, just kidding, just kidding. I'm kidding. Around the second or third hour I was there, reading from the book of Psalms. Forget what Psalm it was. I was listening to some worship music at the same time. I was praying as I was reading. And I was absolutely floored. Because in the middle of reading the book of Psalms, God brought a verse back to my mind. And I think it's the very thing he was trying to say the whole time and get me to realize. And this verse was from Revelation. And let me tell you this. When God takes you to Revelation, it's kind of scary sometimes. Like, where where are we going? But he took me to Revelation 2. Revelation 2, there are letters being written to the churches. Maybe you're familiar with this passage. And Jesus is talking with his disciple John. He says, write this down to this particular church on a few different occasions. And in chapter 2, verse 4, this was the statement that God gave me in that moment. You have forsaken your first love. That was the answer to my question. Why do I feel disconnected? What's missing here? How did I get to this point? It's because I've forsaken my first love. Not the thing I love first, but the one who first loved me. I've forsaken my first love. And in that moment, I was absolutely floored. I remember I was walking around that hotel room and I just had to drop to my knees. And I started weeping and bawling and falling flat on my face for probably an hour or so. And I don't say that to make you think I'm some spiritual giant. That's not true. I say that to say, in that moment, I had no other option but to take the same posture that the man we just read about took when he, for the first time in his life, understood God's mercy upon his life. And I found myself crying out the same prayer that he was. God, would you have mercy on me? I'm a sinner. I've gone astray. I've fallen short. And yet you're still here. Doesn't make any sense, but I'm thankful for it. And I merely want to express my gratitude You see, in this story, 10 out of 10 men had their cup filled with God's mercy. One had their cup filled to overflowing. Do we want our cup filled or do we want our cup filled to overflowing? There's a difference. Each of us, through the power of prayer, can submit our lives to Jesus Christ and we can have our cup filled with God's mercies, which the Bible says are made new every single day. That's great. But it's filled to overflowing when we decide, actually, before I go about my day, I need to thank him for what he's given me. Because as I go about my day, I want what he has bestowed upon me and within me to overflow into others as thanksgiving, as gratitude. It is very difficult, very difficult to not love the folks around you if you are sold out, bought in for your love for Christ. It's very difficult. The love that Christ has shown us, the mercy he has given us, is meant to naturally overflow into others. And yet it is a choice that we must daily make. We have to understand God's mercy 
Our gratitude for the Lord daily develops a posture and an attitude as we are talking about this morning. This is not an overnight process. This is a rhythm that must be developed week in and week out, day in and day out of gratitude. Because I I fear that people like us are sometimes guilty of only telling God we're thankful for the food before we eat it. And that's my fear in my own life is that oftentimes I'm missing the opportunity to thank God for the simple things that I've forgotten, the breath in my lungs, the car I drove to church today, the family that I love so much, the friendships that I've developed over the years. I forget to thank God for the things he's given me, which I view as so simple because they've been there for so long, when in reality, if I would, in view of God's mercy, understand my posture of gratitude is a necessity, then probably what would happen is I would be overflowing with thanksgiving, as Colossians says. We have to understand God's mercy. It changes everything when we do. The second thing I believe that is required for an attitude of gratitude is we must, we must, we must remember God's salvation. Man, this is powerful. Remember God's salvation. At the very beginning of what Paul says in Colossians 2, he says, So then, just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Essentially, what Paul wants to communicate, I think, is if you're trying to figure out how to take that next step in your faith, maybe it's a step of gratitude, maybe it's a step of forgiveness, maybe it's a step of grace, whatever that step is, If you want to figure out how to take the next step, you have to go back to the first step, which is where it started. Do you remember where you were when you received Jesus Christ as Lord? For some of us maybe in in this room, it was in a moment, and everything changed, and you can point back to that day and that time. For others of us in this room, maybe it was a season of your life that you knew God was at work in this season, and I knew that I was being changed by the Holy Spirit. But do you remember when God found you? Do you remember when God got a hold of your life, when you committed your everything to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? I remember that when I did it, it actually was at a different church in town. I was a student here in our student ministry, and I was loving everything on Sunday nights. I was doing all the right things. I could quote all the right verses. I could say all the right things in public. But in private, I knew there was a void. Like I didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I was just playing the game so that I could check the boxes. That's all that was happening. And in that moment, a friend of mine in that season invited me to his church. And it was First Baptist Church in Lexington. And they were having a youth group night on a different night than here at Mount Horb. And so I said, yeah, I guess I'll go. I don't have soccer practice or any conflicts. So yeah, I'll go. And I I will never forget the sermon was so short. It was like 10 minute sermon. The sermon that the youth pastor was preaching, he's now a missionary in Thailand, he was preaching on a story I'd never heard. You see, at this point in my life, I had read most of the Bible, but I hadn't really read it to actually retain what it said. I just kind of read it to say, okay, I can check that off. So one of the stories that I'd never heard was about Jesus as he was nearing his conclusion of his ministry here on earth. And he found himself, prior to being on the cross, I knew that story, But prior to getting on the cross, he found himself on a stage, on a platform just like this, I presume, with a guy named Pilate, and maybe you've heard of this guy before. And there was another guy on stage, and he was apparently a prisoner along with Jesus, and his name was Barabbas. And this guy Pilate, who was in charge of things, said to the crowd before him, 
it's your custom that I am supposed to give you one of these two prisoners and you all get to vote on who it is. And it seemed that unanimously this crowd said, we want Barabbas. Now, the only confusing thing to me when I was hearing these things and reading these things was that Barabbas seemed like the rightful prisoner. He seemed like the murderer. He seemed like the thief. He seemed like the adulterer. But Jesus, I knew him to be flawless, perfect, didn't make any sense. And that's when I realized, after connecting the dots to the crucifixion and the resurrection, that's when I realized that out of the two prisoners in that story, my life did not look more like Jesus. I thought it did. I really did. There's no way I'm like this guy over here. And yet it was Barabbas who the Lord taught me I looked most like. And I immediately wanted that to change. And that's when that very evening, that's when God started to show me this is how it changes. It changes with a dedicated commitment when you don't know all the details of where I'll lead you to Jesus Christ. And I remember that that was a sweet, sweet moment that then had to be developed as time went on and forever will be into eternity. But that's when I believe God got a hold of my life. And maybe, just maybe, you have a story just like that, that's personal, it's unique to you. You see, back then, I, I understood that God's mercy was a real thing. This is a real thing in my life that I have to accept day in and day out. It's there for the taking. I also understood that there's a difference between guilt-based gratitude and grace-based gratitude. You see, I'd been living my life in a guilt-based manner. I was doing all the right things because of fear of what would happen even in my circles of influence and friendship if I stopped doing that. But then I understood God's grace was so much sweeter. And our gratitude is meant to, to flow from that exact same place. We're meant to be grateful because of the grace that we've received. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. I understood the truth from Psalm 23, very, very well-known verse. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I saw that as a reality for the first time. I'd read it many times, but I didn't really know what it means personally. And then I figured it out. That's what it is. I started to not just praise God for what he had done. I started to begin to praise God for what he was doing, what he continues to do. And if we want to have an attitude of gratitude toward our Heavenly Father, primarily, first and foremost, we have to understand this is what God's done. The stories and the verses that we've read today, the Word of God, I'm thankful that this is not the end of what God has done. This is the beginning. It's, he, I read these stories and I'm like, God, you're, you're just getting started. You're just getting started, and for some reason, you've invited me into that process. Though I'm broken, though I'm a sinner, I've fallen short, I've run from you, and yet you want me involved in that process? You want us involved in that process? We get to praise God for what he continues to do, and we get to be a part of that process. Crazy to fathom. Crazy to fathom. I believe that this attitude must be developed, and we must do so by being aware of the fact that God is still a good gift giver to his children. Pastor Emma mentioned that a few weeks ago. He still gives good gifts to his children. He gave us the breath that we just breathed. 
He gave us the car we drove to church today in. He gave us the meal we ate this morning and the one we'll eat in a few moments. He gave us the loved ones that we are around day in and day out, and we were definitely around this past week. And yet we forget about it. And we just do our own thing. If we actually want a posture and an attitude of gratitude, it will require us to simply be aware and give thanks in all circumstances for the mercy, the grace, the love, and the goodness that God has given us. One of the greatest gifts as I look back on my life that God has ever given me was my baptism. Maybe chances are you, you've been baptized in this room. As, as Pastor Jeff said, if you haven't been baptized, we, we'd love to chat with you about that today, about what it means to be baptized. But I remember when I was baptized, not as an infant, but actually as a senior in high school, after I had that transformation experience at the other church here in town, I started reading the book of Acts. Someone told me to read the book of Acts, and so I did. And I kept seeing this word baptism appear. Like, man, everybody's coming to know Jesus, and then they're getting baptized. I think I need to do that. So I reached out to Trevor. I said, Trevor, I don't know what this looks like at Mount Horeb. I know that there's different modes of baptism from what you tell me, but I just want to get baptized. So I will never forget it. I was at Melvin Martin's pool. Okay, that's where I got baptized. Some of you know and love Melvin. And I hadn't met Melvin before. I just rolled up to his pool, and I'm like, this guy really loves Clemson. This is awesome. Uh, But then I, I walked over to his pool, got in the pool, and Pastor Trevor and Pastor Jeff were there in the pool with me. We were reminiscing on this a few days ago. I spoke so softly that Pastor Jeff had to ask me my name like five times. It was super funny. Uh, But then finally, I read my short transformation story, and I went under the water and came back up, and I was like, I get to declare I'm a follower of Jesus. It was an incredible moment. And I wonder what my life, day in and day out, would look like if it weren't for the wonderful moments of transformation, of baptism, Where on earth would we be if it were not for the mercy and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? I don't want to know the answer to that question. And chances are you don't either. But what I learned in reminiscing and looking back on my baptism was that that is the memory. These are the memories that will serve as motivation factors in the seasons of my life when I start questioning. When I start doubting when I want to go astray, those are the moments that remind us of God's goodness in the past. And chances are we've had moments like that even this past week with family and friends. In a few moments, we're going to have a uh, dedicated time of remembering our baptisms, of reaffirming what once took place, our baptism. It's a powerful declaration that we want to make space for in the service and we don't want to miss Pastor Jeff will be here momentarily to to give you more information about how that will look. But for the time being, I would love to pray for us before we move into that time together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you our everything. You are worthy of our everything. We have no idea where we'd be without you. Without your grace, your love, and your mercy that you have given us even afresh today. I pray that this morning, right here, right now, Lord, you would convict us, you would redirect us, and you would fill us to overflowing with gratitude. That we may be reminded and be grateful for the gifts that you have given us, 
and we might see how you desire to use us to share each of those with your people, with others. As we move into this sacred moment now of reaffirming our baptism, may you remind us of that sweet moment, whether it was as an infant or some other time in our life. May you remind us of how far you've brought us even since then, how you've transformed our lives completely. We believe that you are only getting started with us as your people. May we be good stewards of that which you have entrusted us with and the gifts that you have entrusted us with. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.